Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We made it through the weekend, and we've got a pretty busy week ahead. Really glad you're with us for the Three Martini Lunch. We're all crazies today, and uh, I don't know if that's a uh, omen for the rest of the week, Jim, but we'll find out. We're brought to you today by Theragun, theragun.com slash martini. Jim, uh, crazy martini number one. This one does not have a tremendous amount to do with politics except in New York City. Uh, Many different school districts around the country have what's known as the gifted and talented program. And uh, usually fairly early on in their elementary uh, school years, uh, teachers uh, identify students who might be right for this program. Sometimes parents can suggest that their kids be tested for it. And then uh, if they're found to be, quote unquote, gifted and talented, uh, they often uh, go with other kids who receive that designation for uh, instruction that's beyond their grade level. And it kind of uh, keeps them engaged when otherwise they might be bored with material that's, you know, normal for most kids their age, but not necessarily for them, given where they are academically and otherwise. But in New York, we've got a problem, Jim. Most of New York City's public schools offer a gifted and talented program for aspiring students. Yearly performance tests are offered to identify the kids. But guess what? According to Mayor Bill de Blasio and school's chancellor, Richard Carranza, the tests are unfair because the students who wind up in the program, quote, don't reflect the diversity of the city's population. So what's the solution, Jim? They're just going to scrap the entrance tests and they're going to come up with a different way. Uh, This is what Carranza says, we must move away from the test and develop a system that reimagines academic and enrichment programming for our most exceptional students. Now, Jim, it may certainly be possible that there's more than one way to properly identify who ought to get into this program. Maybe a written exam is not the only way to do it, but there's gotta be some way to evaluate that's not based on your demographics. It should be based on whether you actually qualify for the program, but apparently that's not the vision the left has for this anymore. Yeah, this is, this is a very long conversation we could get into here, Greg, but the thumbnail version of it, and I spoke to a bunch of teachers, uh, not just involving my kids, but just other folks have made this their career choice and things have changed a great deal since when you and I were in grade school. Teachers are much more aware of the fact that certain people are auditory learners, meaning that they retain and absorb information better in a uh, auditory format, like the listening to a podcast you're doing right now. Some kids are more visual learners. They like to see things, charts and graphs and uh, maps and, and, you know, visualization. Other, there are all kinds of other formats of it. One of the fascinating things I, I remember when I was digging into this is that there's a reason they tell people to take notes, that your ability to retain information increases dramatically once you have written it down. And it's not because you can look to that note later. It's something about the process of writing down the information plugs in more neurons in your brain and gets you to absorb that. Doesn't not the same for everybody, but for most people, that's the way. So different kids are going to learn different ways. And you're probably going to need to have uh, a measuring stick that can appreciate how they learn and what their talents are and what their gifts are. Um, I realize one test uh, may not fit all. We probably need a better measuring stick of what makes a kid gifted and talented and what kind of educational program will bring them out, bring up their best, help them live up to their their best potential. But here's something funny. Speaking of auditory learning, Greg, every time an educator says our gifted and talented program just isn't diverse enough, Greg, I must have a hearing problem because I hear the words, we're failing to properly educate and bring out the potential of minority students. 
Isn't it fun? Maybe it's the accent up there in New York or something. Maybe they say, hey, you know what? Our job is to educate every kid and bring out their best, and we're just failing this group, uh, which is probably a good moment to throw out the point that distance learning has been really bad for the kids who are most struggling. And if you really want to uh, uh, help these kids, what you do is you get them back in the classroom as much as possible. But Blasio, you know, for all of his flaws, did finally start nudging in that direction. But uh, I don't really think you necessarily make, oh, the best way to educate all of our kids is to get rid of the gifted and talented program. Great. So all the Supreme Court fights about college admissions are going to be brought down to the kindergarten level here soon. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Great. Great. All right. Well, parents, are you stressed out that your kid might be uh, denied a spot in a gifted and talented program or some other position uh, because uh, Richard Carranza and Bill de Blasio uh, want to change the rules now? Well, maybe the Theragun can help with that a little bit. So don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me who is very much not an elite athlete, uh, just trying to make it through the day tension-free is a good way to go, and Theragun can definitely help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, or you're dealing with an injury, or it's just the stresses of everyday life, there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to the site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Wow, it's like Doc Brown with the with the screen from the future there. That's fantastic. But so is the Theragun. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, we have used this, my wife and I, for a number of months now. And uh, aches and pains and pulled muscles and strained muscles. As I said before, not an elite athlete. And uh, you, you have different uh, routines that you can go through. You can just uh, uh, fire it up and use it on whatever sore muscle spot you've got. There's a lot of different options with this. You run it through the app. And uh, it, it kind of does all the work by itself. All you have to do is move it around to the next muscle group uh, that needs some attention. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George and DeAndre Hopkins from the NBA, Maria Sharapova, the tennis star, hundreds of thousands of customers, and yes, people like me who can pull muscles getting off the couch and climbing the stairs. So uh, you can try Theragun for 30 days starting at $199. Go to theragun.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash martini, theragun.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second uh, martini here and let's talk a little bit about the Lincoln Project. And for once, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the Lincoln Project's complete abandonment of any principles as if those guys had any in the first place. I think they're pretty much just hired guns that happened to be hired by Republicans for many years. And then when they figured out that Trump kind of dried up their business, they decided to spend all their time attacking Trump. They're claiming credit for him going down. Uh, most of the evidence suggests they had nothing to do with it, except they did get themselves quite rich. But one of the people who founded this um, August outfit was uh, John Weaver. We've talked about him many times as... Uh, the campaign manager for uh, Republicans who don't like to be Republicans and are named John, like uh, McCain and Huntsman and Kasich. Uh, but John Weaver has a little bit of a problem now. He's out at the Lincoln Project. Uh, turns out that a number of different young men have come forward basically saying that John Weaver 
uh, entice them into either sexual relationships in promise of lucrative positions or he kind of propositioned them over social media, direct messages on Twitter and so forth. Uh, he is now admitting to the improper uh, uh, direct message statements. Those are pretty hard to deny. He's saying he never uh, exploited anyone for sex and promise of a job that never materialized. Uh, and he's also pulling the Jim McGreevy card, Jim, of, oh, now that this uh, potential scandal has erupted, I need to tell ev everyone in the world that I'm gay, uh, including the fact that I'm married. So what do you make of, A, the fact that this is unraveling for John Weaver, and B, that the media has absolutely no interest in this story? Well, I should point out there was a little bit of attention paid by a, there was a, kind of a, a gay specialty publication that characterized him as a right-wing GOP consultant, Greg. <laughs> no, somebody thought, oh, he's right-wing now. He's back to that again, huh? Oh, okay. That's yeah, that, you know, pretty transparent about that. Um, John Weaver is a pretty troubled guy. Uh, this is, this is you know, not acceptable, whatever your ideology. Um, we, we've seen far too much during the days of Me Too uh, and subsequently the, of people in positions of power who have used that status and used that authority as a way to to use other people to basically uh, reduce them to the level of objects and to try to force them into relationships and situations they don't want to get into. It's wrong when Harvey Weinstein does it. It's wrong when John Weaver does it. Now, what's kind of interesting, and you can kind of throw in the uh, uh, the sudden uh, uh, the way certain folks have been treated differently since the uh, revelations of Me Too, is that if you had friends in the media beforehand. Uh, before the revelations, you'll end up uh, you, with your those friends will remember you and start saying, oh, it's not that bad. Or in the case of Weaver, they'll just avert their eyes. They just won't find any newsworthiness in this. Now, let's face it. The Lincoln Project set itself up as the arbiters of right and wrong, as those standing up against fascism, as those standing up against all that was wrong in the world, all that was wrong in the Republican Party and got treated as the good Republicans throughout it. And in fact, I think you look at John Weaver. Uh, we, we used to joke about how, how all of his candidates were named John, but they were this very much this brand of the Republican campaign for people who don't really like Republicans. Um, the idea of him having this dark secret and this terrible dark secret and having this kind of abuse of power of others, God, you know, I'm not even, I wouldn't say, say it's irony. I think it's almost as certain like people would expect someone so high on their self-righteousness might, uh, you know, think, well, I'm a good person, so I'm allowed to do this. It's okay for me to do this because I'm on the side of the angels. The rules don't really apply to me because I'm special. Um, John Weaver is a terrible human being, and it was the other thing is that you know while this came out, this this revelation, there was another one that basically said that um, John Weaver worked on the Huntsman campaign, and Mitch Daniels had been contemplating uh, running for president. He had had a messy divorce, remarried his wife, and didn't want all of that stuff getting aired out for all the world to dissect. Well, a message got through that basically they had reached the um, gentleman who had his, who, uh, Mitch Daniels' wife had uh, had a dalliance with, had a relationship with, and it became very clear to the Mitch Daniels campaign or the nascent Mitch Daniels campaign that if he made it official, that if he ran, all of this was going to get aired out. It turned out the Huntsman family said they had never heard about any of this and had no would never have approved of any of this. But apparently it was John Weaver who was behind this. So John Weaver's bad ethics, you know, aren't merely in the sexual realm. They're not merely in the realm of relationships. This guy who gets up on his high horse about how politics ought to be practiced has apparently one of the most dirty, below, you know, dirty pool, below the belt, getting personal, driving good people out of politics. 
Um, you can make an interesting argument that Weaver himself personifies all that has gone wrong in politics in like the last 10 to 20 years. Anyway, that's that's John Weaver in a nutshell, folks. I'm glad you brought up the Mitch Daniels story because I read that thread on Twitter yesterday and it's just horrifying. I mean, you know that uh, politics is brass knuckles even in the primary campaigns and I believe some of these Lincoln Project guys were behind some uh, pretty awful smears in the 2016 campaign as well, particularly aimed at Ted Cruz, but that's a whole different story. But um, but uh, John Weaver's track record here coming to light is very, very ugly, and his whole, uh, oh, I now can tell you who I really am, like Jim McGreevy back in 2005 when he had uh, potential criminal charges aimed at him. It's so convenient. It's like Kevin Spacey, you know? It's mm. just, uh, uh, let me just throw out this card and hope everything goes away. Greg, we've known who he really was for quite some time. Big tech is censoring conservative speech and Democrats will be controlling the White House and Congress. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. Join me on The Sarah Carter Show and we will dig deep into the big issues together. Look, as an investigative reporter, I'll ask the questions no one else is asking. Share personal stories covering wars, the border and the D.C. swamp and bring on guests who know what's really going on. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move on to our uh, final crazy martini now. And for that, we go over to CNN. This is a two-parter. Uh, over on Reliable Sources, which are neither reliable nor not necessarily sources over on that program anymore, hosted by Brian Stelter. He had a guy named Alex Stamos on. I'm going to say it's Stamos because, you know, John Stamos, and I don't know anything better on this guy. So uh, here we go. This is uh, Stamos explaining that social media needs to continue to deplatform people he considers uh, a threat to uh, safety. And then he also says it's time for the uh, right-leaning uh, cable news channels uh, to get kicked off by the major cable companies that run cable systems. So I think first, you have mm. to focus on those violent extremists, and those companies have to be brave in that way. And second, we have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are, are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger, daytime, a larger audience than daytime CNN, and they are extremely radical and pushing extremely uh, radical views. And so it's up to the Facebooks and YouTubes in particular to think about whether or not they want to be effectively cable networks for disinformation. And then we're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know, that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. Um, I, this is, you know, allowing people to seek out information if they really want to, but not pushing it into their faces, I think is where we're going to have to go here. Alex and Chris, thank you both for, for looking ahead with us. Wow, tough pushback. Good follow-ups there from Brian <laughs> Stelter. Huh, interesting. You just want to shut all these people up and kick them off of their platforms. Uh, after that, Oliver Darcy, who is basically Stelter's sidekick over there in the CNN uh, checking on the media department, which means basically they watch Fox News all day, uh, he adds this, just a reminder that neither Verizon, AT&T, nor Comcast have answered any questions about why they beam channels like One American News and Newsmax into millions of homes. Do they have any second thoughts about distributing these channels given their election denialism content? They won't say. So we've gone from hosting a guy who wants to uh, kick all these people off with no pushback to openly cheerleading for it. Well done, CNN, because you could never be next, ever. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind here, Greg, is that Brian Stelter's show on CNN if it had an unofficial subtitle, it would be, here's what was on Fox News this week. <laughs> uh, because his media re you know, review, because it's supposed to be you know, media analysis of, of the show, mostly consists of talking about what Fox News did. 
And the subtext of that is, here's what was bad, what was on Fox News this week. It, it, it's rarely you see a cable news network devote a half hour of Sunday morning programming to one of our network. One of Here's what our rival is doing, and we hate them, <laughs> and you shouldn't watch them. Now, the thing is, that if somebody's watching Brian Stelter, they're probably not watching Fox News when they switch over. This is, you know, the the taste great, less filling, uh, you know, the sense of like, well, we hate that side and we're going to tell you why that side is so bad and why you should never, ever watch that side. Um, interesting to say they turn down the ability of these networks. I, in today's morning jolt, I walk through conspiracy theories. And the great irony is, is that believing something crazy is not by itself harmful. It's not harmful to other people. It can be harmful to you. It can harm your relationships. It can be bad for your life. But... First Amendment protects that. Not only are you afraid that you're free to think whatever things you want to think, you can say whatever things you want to say. The issue becomes when your thoughts turn into action. The old saying, your freedom of speech stops at the bridge of your nose when somebody tries to deck you, you know. Um, believing in QAnon, which I do not, and I think is a terrible, kooky, uh, uh, you know, uh, belief idea, doesn't inherently make somebody want to pick up a thin blue line flag and attack a police officer, right? Um, believing in the election was stolen uh, from Trump, which I do not agree with, does not automatically make someone want to rush into the House chamber and throw papers around and do all that kind of stuff. It only really becomes a problem once it starts infringing upon the rights of others or breaking the law. Believing in QAnon is not illegal. I wouldn't want it to be illegal. And I wouldn't want, if somebody decided tomorrow to set up the QAnon network, and there'd be a news network that's just going to write, you know, discuss stuff with QAnon, they would have that First Amendment right, and it would only become a problem once it got people to start infringing upon the rights of others. Um, by the way, like the, the, the interesting thing, you know, oh, we got to be worried about what OAN is bringing to people. We got to be worried about what, new, what the Newsmax is doing to people. He used that phrase, push it into your face. Greg, I realize, you know, life's under pandemic right now, so we're interacting with less people. But how often has somebody come up to you and just pushed Newsmax into your face? <laughs> Zero so far. Right, it's not like there are people running down the street, grabbing people and, and forcing them like a, in a, a clockwork orange to keep their eyelids open to make them watch One American Network. Right, his argument of people, see, yeah, you know, like if you want to seek out these networks, go right ahead. Oh, by the way, if you're paying attention, the Dominion lawyers have already gotten a whole bunch of folks at Fox News and Fox Business News and the American Thinker to offer their full retraction, saying, "Well, don't, did we say voting machines were changing votes? We were totally wrong on that." There's no evidence of that. And as far as we're concerned, Dominion is hunky-dory. And the fact that their lawyers are, are licking their lips and looking at us has nothing to do with our retraction. <laughs> um, in other words, like libel law and slander law, in this particularly extreme example of claiming that voting machines were changing votes and stuff, appears to be working, at least from where I sit. I, the thing is that I don't really want One American Network or Newsmax, which I don't think I've ever watched or if I've watched after a few moments, it's been... Uh, click the channel away. I don't want somebody coming along and taking them off the air. You have a freedom to be wrong in this country. You have a freedom to be as nutty as you want in this country. And the idea that we need big companies, like basically Darcy is calling for what Amazon Web Services did to Parler to happen to One America Network, Newsmax, and God knows what else. I don't like that. If, you, if that doesn't bother you, if it doesn't strike you as Amazon Web Services stepping into the role of a government censor, or at least creating an option. If, if, if we had an easy option to go, oh, Amazon Web Services doesn't want to work with me, fine. I'm just going to go across to, you know, uh, Acme Web Services or something like that. You know, considering Wiley Coyote's 
record, you probably don't want to work for that company. But <laughs> the idea that there was some other one, okay, fine, I don't want to work with this company, I'll work with another one, be a totally different story. Amazon, a bunch of these companies are quasi-monopolies. I'm sure there's some other web video uh, site that's akin to YouTube, but it's not going to be as big as YouTube. I think it was Peter Thiel who made the argument that all of these big tech companies, once Google becomes the preeminent search engine, everyone uses it and there's no point of it. Once Facebook becomes the preeminent way to connect with people and check in on old high school classmates and see who got fat, stalk ex-girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. Once it becomes that, everyone's on it. There's no point in being on that other social network and you see something like MySpace deteriorating. You know, anyway, so just bring us full circle back here. Look, the Dominion lawyers kind of demonstrate that really egregious behavior can be held in check without big tech companies coming in and saying, yes, this is acceptable. No, that is not acceptable. And I think it's very revealing that Oliver Darcy, self-described journalist, self-described defender of the First Amendment, is basically arguing we need the, the big tech companies to come in and start shutting down networks that are saying things that I don't like. A commitment to freedom requires you to be, hey, I don't agree with that, but it's okay for that. And to only step in and say, all right, we got to do something when it directly prompts someone to go and, and commit some sort of crime. Jim, do you remember when Democrats didn't like big corporations? I feel like it really wasn't that long ago. And now they're like, yeah, get rid of them, man. Well, they, they, the big corporations make donations to Democrats now. So that, that makes them okay. <laughs> Amazing how quickly things turn. It's only Monday, Jim. Sorry, it's not Friday tomorrow. But uh, oh my God. <laughs> we'll have plenty of crazies, I'm sure the rest of this week. But uh, anyway, rest up. It's going to be a long one. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. And try some Theragun, too. I mean, uh, the, the, stress is, <laughs> the stress is already building. I can feel it. He's Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Again, Theragun, theragun.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are extremely grateful every day for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember to please get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day and join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.